just want to have an opportunity to share what is an example of love that someone has shown to you? Is there, as we think about praises, but think about love, what is a, a demonstration of love, humanly speaking, that someone has shared with you? Go ahead. So I was thinking about Valentine's Day, and I was just looking at uh, some advice for men just on the other side. Is that men, um, on Valentine's Day, as bring that up coming on February, just a reminder, but also do not offer to barbecue for your wife or girlfriend because when a man volunteers to do the barbecue, the following chain of events are put into motion. The woman buys the food. The woman makes a salad, prepares the vegetables, and makes dessert. The woman prepares the meat for cooking, places it on a tray along with the necessary cooking utensils and sauces, and takes it to the man who is lounging beside the grill, iced tea in hand. Then here comes the important part. The man places the meat on the grill. The woman goes inside to organize the plates, the cutlery. The woman comes out to tell the man that the meat is burning. He, he thanks her and then asks if she will bring him another iced tea while he deals with the situation. The man takes the meat off the grill and hands it to the woman. The woman prepares a plate, salad, bread, utensils, napkins, sauces, and brings them to the table. After eating, the woman clears the table and does the dishes. And most important of all, everyone praises the man and thanks him for his cooking efforts. Then the man asks the woman how she enjoyed her night off, and upon seeing her annoyed reaction, concludes that there's no pleasing some women. So men, just understand that's not the proper way, okay? Women, I also have one for you. Ladies, don't be like this woman who, the other night, a husband was relaxing on the sofa, um, and uh, when he heard his wife's voice from the kitchen, said, Oh, sweetheart, what would you like for dinner, my love? Chicken, beef, or lamb? The husband replied, thank you, darling. I think I'll have the chicken. She replied, you're having soup. I was talking to the dog. <laughs> so anyway, just uh, so hopefully that you can express love and uh, demonstrate it or, or it is for you as well. So, I mean, that's part of uh, being a believer, but also the proper demonstration of that. And so while we make to, uh, light, like to make light of uh, just valentine's day and everything from hallmark but just understand that uh love is an important biblical principle the proper expression of that and so we're going to sing number 154 for god so loved the world and thank you for singing so we've been going through genesis and uh as we arrive at genesis 15 genesis 15 is the abrahamic covenant and often it's looked at as we started off back in genesis 12 the call of Abraham, the promise, the three characteristics. I will give you land, seed, and blessing. I'm going to have Mel Thompson come up, and he's going to actually read uh, the Abrahamic Covenant, Genesis 15, and it's going to be uh, verses 1 through uh, 21. So he'll read the whole chapter. Well, shall we pray to begin our service? Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to um, just be moved by your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that it gives to us. Pray that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> as we look at uh, Genesis 15, the, known as the Abrahamic Covenant, and here you have a picture on the slide of just a, a little bit of the animals pulled in half. That's just obviously not how they would have appeared, but uh, just to give you the idea, and then the birds on the side. But the Abrahamic Covenant found in Genesis 15. And my purpose is that as we study the word, there's... There's different passages, there's different texts that we all should know. And Abrahamic covenant, although we are not Hebrew or Jewish, is an important part of the promises of God. Um, it reminds me of the story of, um, there was a, 
a new pastor at a church, and he went and visited the Sunday school class. And the teacher introduced him and said, this is our new pastor, and, and told him that they were studying about Joshua. And so the pastor says, that's wonderful. Um, let's see what they're learning. So he asked one little, um, he asked the class, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And no one answered. He says, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And little Billy shyly raised his hand and says, I didn't do it. And taken aback, the pastor says, come on, who tore down the walls of Jericho? The teacher interrupting says, Billy, um, um, Pastor, Billy's a good boy. If he didn't say he didn't do it, then I believe him. And then the pastor went to the Sunday school um, director and relayed the story to him. The director looked worried and explained, well, sir, we've had some problems with Billy before. Let me talk to him and see what we can do. Really bothered now by the answer of the teacher and the Sunday school director, the new pastor approached the deacons and related the whole story to them, including the responses of the Sunday school teacher and the director. And one of the white-haired gentlemen thoughtfully stroked his chin and said, Well, pastor, I just moved that we take money from the general fund to pay for the walls and leave it at that. And so uh, just hopefully, you know, we, we know what the Bible says. And that's our desire here at Grace Baptist Church, that we teach the whole entire part of the Bible and uh, that people know what the Word of God says. But as we look at the Abrahamic covenant, I think it's important to understand that it's an act in which God promises divine blessings to Abraham's descendants. Well, he says that uh, earlier on that uh, Abraham would be blessed, it's the, the expression would really be on the future and uh, to his descendants. And, he never, and although he never saw, Abraham never saw the fulfillment of those blessings, the promise was personally revealed to him. And in the same way, the future blessings of salvation are not um, immediately redeemed once a believer comes to Christ as our Savior, we can learn four principles uh, from this covenant. And so today we'll look at just four principles from this covenant. And the first thing as we look through in chapter 15, uh, verse 1, we can see that uh, knowing God is different than knowing about God. Knowing God is different than knowing about God. As we see in chapter 1, it says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And so, first of all, we see that knowing God is different than knowing about God. This is a self-revelation that God gives to Abram. We've heard of different times where God discloses a little bit about himself, but here's a vision. And there's a difference between a vision and a dream. You might think, oh, a vision and a dream. A dream is often about prophetic events, but here a vision, uh, even as an interaction with God, and um, it's a divine um, self-disclosure. He learns about who God is. And uh, we don't necessarily believe that there is uh, visions that people have today because we have the disclosure, the revelation, the word of God. So there's not necessarily that need for it. If we remember where Abraham was, he didn't necessarily know that much about God. Go, God had told him to go from the Ur of the Chaldees over to the promised land. God had told him that you will receive land, seed, and blessing. But the understanding more about who God is. And first of all, we see he tells Abram, do not be afraid. And we don't know um, if there was fear in his heart, but it could have been the fact that all of a sudden he, there is a divine encounter with, with God, a deity, and because of his, or because of his present state. Remember, God had told him that, uh, 
there would be a blessing. From you would come a Messiah. From you all would be blessed. And he reaffirms and tells Abram, he says, I am your shield. There's divine protection. I am your shield. And looking at this from his enemies, which he's already demonstrated, if we look at uh, in Saving Lot, earlier we saw that, but also we must understand that uh, he would protect him as he was following God. And some who, as we interpret the word of God, doesn't mean that, uh, that God will protect us because God has promised to protect us in every situation. This does not obligate God to protect us in our sin, from our sinfulness or our lack of judgment. Um, maybe you've read the book um, that talks about um, the Darwin Awards, which it promotes evolution. But in that, it talks about a book of individuals who have done dumb things and they've died for them. And uh, it's kind of like uh, those group of rednecks who sometimes, you know, you should never be around them who says, hey, watch this, right? Because you don't know what's going to occur next. But sometimes you get a, a bunch of people together, especially men, and they do dumb things. And uh, dangerous things can occur. And it doesn't mean just simply the fact that uh, if you know Christ and uh, he says that he will protect you, that, ob- that obligates him from... Uh, to protect you when when people do dumb things. It says, oh, God is going to protect me, and so therefore I can do anything I want. And that's not necessarily the case. And even as we pray, understand it, it's within his will as he directs us. But also we must understand that wherever we're at, often we think about protection. Um, it's an important part. We live in a society where people take things that aren't theirs, that um, people are damaged, and they, they are going to be violent. And so I wouldn't recommend that you go downtown uh, Phoenix in certain areas of the city at 2 o'clock in the morning on a, on a Friday night because that could be dangerous. Um, but it also doesn't mean that just because you live in a dangerous area or maybe you go on a missions trip to a dangerous part of the world that uh, you shouldn't go there because you're fearful. Because... If you believe that that's where God is directing you, or such as missionaries or even missions trip, there are those, um, when I went to Damascus, Syria, to the Middle East in 2000, you know, oh, you know what, there's so much unrest. I would never do that because I'm fearful. I've had um, even someone say, oh, I wouldn't take my family over travel because of terrorism. And uh, we must understand that God is in control and has a plan and purpose, and danger can be faced you know, in our neighborhood, in our own home. But understanding if we are in the will of God where the desire is at, that in his perfect plan, that safety can be held in when, even when circumstances, are, uh, circumstances around us seem dangerous. And here the promise is that says, I am your shield, that divine protection. Nothing will protect. We don't live in a military um, understanding of first century or even before where a shield was an important defense. But uh, we know what it means to take defense. If someone is hurling, I was going to say snowballs at us, but you'd have to grow up in the east, you're going to find a place where you can hide. If someone was going to throw rocks at you, you'd go where you could get cover. Or maybe we could put it into, a, you know, someone in your home is throwing dirty laundry or socks at you, just throwing them, you're going to take cover. You don't, you're not just going to stand there and take the brunt of that. And so even whatever it is, if uh, 
um, you are going to try to find protection. But here, that protection that comes from God, that divine protection, but also your reward will be very great. In first, to a future biological offspring that would also lead to the Savior of the world. And in, the, in this, we see the promises that were given to Abram. Your reward will be great. It's one thing to get a reward. Oh, that's fine. But this is going to be something that will be beyond, that will be greater. And so as Abraham is given this information, knowledge, and understanding of who God is, there's a personal aspect that he is going to receive from God. But there's an understanding, a greater understanding of who God is. And so there's some who know about God. Oh, yeah, God is loving, God is kind, but to experience that personal. There are things that your family members might do for you that others might not, those who care about you. And things that they have done for you as a sacrifice, or maybe they've, they've moved you when you went to college, or they've done things for you, or someone has moved you. And uh, it is because that is a personal, they have a personal attachment and uh, there's difference from one who doesn't know you. If you were to go out on the street and ask, hey, will you help me? For the most part, they'd say, I don't even know you. But there's an understanding, that personal um, connection. And here, knowing God is different than knowing about God. Second thing we learn is that questioning God is different than doubting God. Oftentimes, there, especially in the church, it's always been about, oh, we shouldn't question God. Well, there's a difference between questioning God and doubting God. Because here, as we look at verse 2 and 3, Abram responds and says, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continues, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave is born in my house will be my heir. As he talks about Eliezer, and they use that word, there is a slave. Who will be? And that was often what occurred. If there was no biological offspring, someone in the household would take and become the heir of all the possessions. And so he questions. Abraham says, God, wait a second. Look at my situation. How can that be? And he didn't understand. And so he asked for clarification. And so he questions God. And not doubt a possibility. He doesn't doubt that it's going to occur. But he asks, how is it going to occur? What, is, how, what does it look like? I don't understand. Because, first of all, he says, as you go to the next slide, there is the understanding, the circumstances. And... Uh, God promises a miracle because Abraham is childless. His heir is the servant Eliezer. And then, again, Abraham repeats this, the circumstances. Wait a second. This seems impossible. I don't understand. There's no way. How is this going to occur? And maybe you've been in the same situation. Sometimes you ask God, um, we often ask God, why is this happening? There is a... As we look about the judges, Gideon. Gideon was different because he was finally castigated for asking, oh, if the fleece. God would give him a demonstration that he was surely going to defeat him, and he kept on doubting. He doubted it. He doubted if he could do it. But here there's clear direction that um, God told Abraham what was going to occur. But Abraham just asked, how? I don't understand because you promised an heir, but how will I be the one who um, through my heir, will this occur? I don't understand. Eliezer, is he, am I supposed to adopt Eliezer? Because sometimes that occurs, that he would come under the household. And so he questions and asks God, and he repeats, the, repeats it. 
And um, he doesn't understand. But yet, in verses 4 through 5 is where God promises that miracle. He says, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Biologically, a child that you will have. And the promise of biological offspring. And not just one child, understanding that from that child will be numerous. And he takes them outside. Maybe they're in the tent, but he takes them outside and says, look up into the stars, the heavens. See all the dark, see all the stars. Can you count them? We can kind of just picture ourselves, you know, looking out into the, um, into the sky and seeing all the clouds. That's one thing nice about Arizona. If you're from back east or, or um, where there's all, sometimes you can't see it as well with the light blindness um, in the city, but you go out, you can still see the stars, and it's a beautiful picture of seeing what takes place and often clear nights. And just to think about the the numbers, the vast, sheer numbers. It doesn't say that you're going to have this many. It just says, look at it, countless. You are going to have um, innumerable. And so there's a difference in questioning God than doubting God. And I think that that's sometimes where we as believers, it's okay to question. Say, hey, how does this work? I don't understand how this is going to take place. Because naturally, it's how we think. We think diagnostically. What, how can we solve this problem? Or how is it going to work? And sometimes God reveals that to us. Sometimes God simply just says, just wait. Trust me. And that's where it's important to say, because that's the hard part, in the waiting, in the patience, to trust God. I know that God has something for my life, and I don't know what it is. And so we sit and wait. Or we know that God is doing something in our life, and we're like, I don't understand. What do you want me to do? And so we try to circumvent his plan. And sometimes he just simply wants you to wait to know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And I am with you. And I have a plan. And uh, here we question. And it's, it's okay to bring our questions to God. And uh, as we look at it. So even, and then the next one we see is trusting God leads to blessing from God. Trusting God leads to blessing from God. Verse 6, as mentioned, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham demonstrates true faith, believing that God will do what he promises. And even here we see many um, theologians scholars say this is salvific faith in that he is trusting God and the future promises. Salvation leading to a personal relation, a relational change in fellowship. And as we look at it, so going to the next slide, it says credit or reckon, impute. We see it in other passages. In 2 Samuel 19, 20, using that word credit, reckon, impute, Psalm 32, 2. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And looking at, at that verse, charge to his account with. And we know that, that reckoning, that is a, um, a financial term. But understanding is that here, it is credited to his account. That sinful human moves closer to God in that relational aspect because of what has occurred. And as we look at even that, not only does sinful human, how does sinful human move closer to a holy God, but then on the other side of it, we see the self-revelation is that 
God moves closer to sinful human. It was Yahweh who brought Abram out of Ur. And upon the basis of this action, as it looks in verse 7, he also said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And we see the blessing that comes from that. And understanding that, that corresponding action, that relational change that occurs. There is blessing in trusting. Those secular humanists and others who look at religion and they don't understand Christianity, that the object of our faith is worthy of our trust. Faith is just not blind faith. I just believe I can fly. Well, you know what? That can be quickly corrected because of the object of our faith. Faith is believing in an object, believing in Christ, believing that Jesus Christ, he is who he said he was, that he died, that he rose again. And here Abraham um, understands and believes God, that he will do what he promised, and that faith is not blind faith. There was evidence, there was interaction. And so we see the basis of that, where God reveals himself to Abram. And even as we look at our world today, as we understand the word of God and see it and read it, it's more than just a, a book, but also understanding the historical aspect of it that occurred, the truthfulness of that. Because some would say, well, I don't believe the Bible. But we could even look at the historical truth of it, of what occurred. Okay, you don't believe that Jerusalem, you don't believe in these cities, Babylon. We could look at it from a historical record understanding that but also then the faith aspect of who Christ is are you denying that Jesus Christ existed but trusting God leads to blessing from God and that's important because not only did that affect Abraham that affected all who would believe in uh, this Messiah the Savior and for us because there is blessing in trusting God and trusting um, Jesus in our lives today and that's important because as relationally, as we get to know more about God, he reveals himself to us, his plan, his purpose. And that's important because that helps us to understand. Everyone wants to know, what's my purpose? What is, what is my role in life? It's not like life is a big play, but we can understand that in this grand sphere, in our world today, our lives seem very insignificant. If we think about how many, seven, some billion in the world today, who am I? And we come to that self-revelation of, does God really care about me, one among so many different people? But that's the beautiful thing, is that God who created this universe, who knows each individual, cares about you and desires that you know him and live in such a way that honors him and that you have a personal relationship with him. And that, as we see in the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham, Ur the Chaldean, called out to come to the promised land. And we see the beautiful example of, of what was revealed to him because he didn't have much. And yet he still followed after God. And then we see here understanding that he believed the Lord and credited to him as righteousness. That relational aspect, being in a right position before God. And then in verse 8, we have kind of a, a response because Abraham asked for a sign, physical evidence for a promise that will that he will not um, that he will not be able to benefit personally. Because he does he knows that this will come in the future, but he won't see really the evidence of, of his children. He'll be able to see that he has a child, but 
He says here, how will I know that I will possess it? So he's talking about the land. Well, how will I know that I will possess this land? You know, maybe he's asking about what am I supposed to do? And so here we see our fourth, our fourth principle is that knowing God or recognizing his providential act working through earthly events leads to having true peace from God. So go to the next slide there, Riley. As we see, knowing God leads to true peace from God. There is, that is the wonderful thing is that believers have that many others don't, a peace. You can have peace in knowing God, but you can also have peace from God, that calm in a storm of knowing that whatever occurs, God is in control. But here, knowing God and recognizing his involvement in your life can lead to having true peace from God. And peace to understand the situation that you're in. So let's look at this. In verse 9 through 21, we talk about he gives a, an example of a covenant. And we know this as the Abrahamic covenant. In the Old Testament, it talks about to cut a covenant going on in, in dividing these animals in half. And this covenant or a treaty or agreement, sometimes it's between a superior and an inferior. Sometimes it's between two equal individuals. So it takes the three-year-old cow, the three-year-old male, uh, female goat, the three-year ram, the turtle dove, the pigeon. And it's interesting because as we look at it, we could compare it to even today. It's not a perfect um, example, but there always is a cost in this. In that, uh, you know, I was trying to think of illustration or, or examples where parties, maybe I wouldn't recommend that you do this, but think about a title loan where someone puts up and says, okay, for a title loan, you put up a, your vehicle, and at that cost, uh, I will give you money. They enter into agreement, says, and if you don't pay this back, guess what? They will take the title to your vehicle. Or you could look at it uh, simple back if you were to go to um, the time period when um, they had drag races. I think it was the 50s where you have two individuals who race in a car. And they would race for their pink slip. It's pink slip. Um, they're pinks, right? Was that right? You're like, oh, I wasn't during that time. But what would happen is, um, I watched Happy Days, okay? So what happens, you have two individuals who are racing, and whoever loses the race, they lose their, um, what at that time was the title to their vehicle. And so you think that's kind of a dumb thing. But uh, they enter into an agreement, and that's what occurs. But now you go back, so you see that ha how that has always been a part of society that, that enter into an agreement. Okay, guess what? Then because of that, you lose as a, 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 um, a cost. Well, here we see an example of a covenant that God gives to Abraham. It says, guess what? It can't be going back on. And God explains a covenant in a human expression in which Abraham is able to understand it. And it's often incorporated in other ways, the teaching cannot put these animals back together. And uh, this treaty or agreement between two, two equal parties, but accompanied, you know, God is a witness here. And so as, as we look at this, there's certain characteristics that bring about. And so he splits them, lays them down on opposite sides. And it says the vultures or the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. And Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, here's an interesting question. As we look at the word of God, what occurred? How could the sun be setting, but yet earlier on there was 
They were looking at, at, the, at the stars. Well, simple, simply put, I would say that time has passed in this as we look at it. It wasn't just all these animals were here, conveniently here, they split them up. Probably as it goes through the day passes. And so um, looking at this, it could have been even earlier at what time, but it goes out. And so as time passes and goes through the day, and the sun setting, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended upon him. And the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain, your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. That sounds encouraging, doesn't it? What will take place? And uh, here we see a few things. First of all, the terror and darkness that occurs. You know, the human emotion manifested by one before a holy God. First of all, to understand what will occur, but also um, the interaction. And then the prophetic nature that foreigners and, and your, the people will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. It tells them what's going to take place, and we know that that as a record is what occurs. But also that they will receive possessions. He goes on and says, you know, going to judge the nation they serve. So they are playing a part. He doesn't know that they're the Egyptians, but they're going to um, judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. So they are going to endure great suffering, but they're also, they will receive um, possession of the land. And there's a, a personal promise. Then there's a personal promise to Abram. Abram, you will not... Um, you will not receive this. Uh, he, you are going to have peace in old age. You will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here in the iniquity of the Amorites. So he gives insight, telling them what will go on, the details, that personal promise of peace in old age for you. But then in the fourth generation, the people will return out of there and come back. And part of it is the time period is to, they will be a, judge the sins of some of the others. So sometimes we don't always know. We talked about that waiting, questioning. Why does God, why is God taking so long to answer my prayer? Why isn't God doing this? And we wonder why, 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 why? And often we look at it from a very selfish perspective in the sense that things that occur in our life, sometimes it's to bless us, but also we are to be a blessing to others. Or there's at a specific time that someone will bless us. As we think about different things that have occurred in people's lives or the timing of someone coming along just at the time of need. When we're in a, a great need, maybe it was a flat tire or an engine trouble and someone came along and just blessed and occurred there. I remember um, someone talking about it. Even Jack was talking about a time when they were lost hiking and, and God brought along someone just to help them direct the path. And there's different people that God brings into your life. Maybe to fulfill a specific need. Maybe to encourage you along the way. Or maybe you're the one that God desires that you would speak to someone else or to live a life that is godly, to be an example to other people, or to do what is right. But we see here, knowing God, knowing God personally, to have an intimate relationship with him, to grow, the desire as a believer, it's not just simply to come to Christ and then, all right, I'm, I'm set. I've got my ticket to heaven. He has a specific desire that you grow and understand more about him constantly and continue. You think, oh, I've read that story. I know that, I know that Bible verse. 
But as we read the Word of God, as it goes over and over, I think about an illustration of a, of a young boy who, who didn't understand um, and said, you know, I don't really understand why I should read the Bible. And, um, and what happened, this grandfather took and said, here, I want you to take this uh, basket. And uh, he used it for bringing coal into the house. And he says, I want you to take this basket and I want you to fill it with water. So the boy would go down and try to run as fast as he could, and, and guess what? The water would come out, and he'd come back and said, this is futile. He goes, go, go do it again. Bring it back a second time, and you run, tr- run fast, and as fast as you can run, and guess what? That water was just running out of that basket. He says, go one more time. goes a third time, and comes back, and that coal basket, and he says, see, you know what? I don't, I don't understand. It wouldn't hold any water. And the grandfather, in his wisdom, says, look at the basket. And the basket is no longer black and dirty from that coal, but it's clean. And so as we read the word of God, we understand that we're always changed from the inside out. There's times where, as we read the principles, we might not understand every little cultural aspect or some of the words. But as we read it, we're always changed. We're transformed by the word of God, the spirit of God in our obedience. And sometimes we might not necessarily be able to see it, but as we go through life, a text or a passage that we didn't understand before because maybe we weren't going through the the circumstances that we needed to. And then as we read the Word of God, it sparks within us. Maybe a need to change or a, a moment of peace, of guidance. And so knowing God, and that leads to true peace of knowing that, hey, God is in control. God has a plan or God has a purpose. He's doing something in my life that I might not understand, but I need to be obedient. I need to pay attention. And so here at the end, the evidence as we look at what verse 17, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed through the divided animals. A smoking pot, you know, that's kind of hard for us to visualize a smoking pot. But at, at that time, understanding as, as a pillar of fire, oftentimes in the Bible, whether it be the spirit, the clove of the burning bush, the pillar of fire, the clove of fire, passes between the animals. That right there would be a little fearful in itself. But God demonstrates in a very human way that he is present. And we call that a theophany. But we understand that God coming down in visible form. And it's a reminder to Abram that says, guess what? I will fulfill my promise to you. And this is a reassurance of that. You can always have this, understand a memory, a visual representation. That's why pictures are so powerful for us. You should have pictures in your life. They're visible reminders, you know, not, oh, back when you were cute and really lovable, then you turned into an adult or, or maybe family members, you see that. But they're powerful because they remind us of a time of something that occurred, a historical event, but it's the same way when God did something into, into our life, an event occurred that is tangible, that we remember, and it's powerful. And it's, it's a reminder for us to understand that God is in control even when we cannot see the immediate results. So as you go to that last slide, just understand that. God is in control even if we do not see the immediate results. The greatest challenge that believers have is sometimes, oh, I can't see God working in my life, or I don't know what's going on, or I don't know what God wants for my life now. In the Abrahamic covenant, there's a promise. This is what's going to occur. Here is evidence of that. You have evidence that Jesus Christ is in your life by the fruit that you produce, 
by the evidence that you're even here, that you desire an understanding. But I want you to know that he is active and present. And that even when we do not, do not see the immediate results, maybe you're working hard, maybe you're praying, maybe you're, you're trying to serve God and understand more about him. You're like, God, I don't see any, any immediate results. God is still there. God has a plan. And he desires that you simply trust him. Because in the future, there is more that he has for you. And while you may not see it, there may be others who see it in your life. The act of obedience. Others, you may not even realize it, who are watching you, that you can impact for Christ. Shall we pray?